Can the Seattle Kraken upset the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche? The eighth-seeded Miami Heat make history, disposing the top-seeded Milwaukee Bucks in the East. The heart of Jimmy Butler and the coach of the Bucks has a lot to answer to this spring and summer. The NFL draft is tonight, but in these parts, it's all about Aaron Rodgers becoming a New York Jet. Do the pros outweigh the cons? And a trip throughout the major leagues as I'll check in on the latest in baseball. Fasten your seatbelts. This will be a wild ride through the sports universe. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The final podcast of April will feel like an early July day with plenty of heat and fireworks as I delve into all that's transpired in the sports world and beyond as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And boy, what an exciting and intriguing week it has been and has made a fool out of yours truly when it comes to the NBA. And I'm going to get to them second. I want to start off with the NHL just to do a little flip-flop. I get it that the NBA is front and center with all that's happened. You had a couple of more series close out with the... Phoenix Suns and the LA Clippers, the Suns moving on to play the Denver Nuggets who disposed of the Minnesota Timberwolves, so now that I got that out of the way, but a couple of interesting developments last night, which I'll touch on in the next segment, but I want to start with the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs, and what has happened over the last couple of days for the Colorado Avalanche, a team that made it to the Stanley Cup final and won last year, got the proverbial Piano off their back, considering they had a lot of epic failures. Maybe not as epic as the Toronto Maple Leafs, and you know I'm going to get to them. But for the Avalanche to finally win a cup, and to go into the season with a little bit of a hangover, they had their best player out for a considerable amount of time, and a one Nathan McKinnon. They were able to piecemeal it throughout the course of the second half of the regular season. They had to fight tooth and nail to get themselves to a point where they were able to prevail and get the second seed, which would have been the top seed in the Central Division, outlasting both Dallas and Minnesota to get the number two seed and to clinch that Central Division. 
And at this very moment, they are on the cusp of saying bye-bye and having a very early spring vacation for a team that had a two games to one lead, winning in Seattle as they did over the weekend. And then, all right, fine, they lose a game four. No problem there. And you would think that with the scene shifting to Denver and having the Avalanche in their building, minus Kale McCarr, their outstanding defenseman, who had to serve a one-game suspension on a hit to one of the Kraken's top-scoring forwards and a one Jared McCann. And you would think that even with McCarr out of the lineup and even with Seattle winning that game four, the last thing I thought was that Seattle was going to go in there and play in their tempo, their control, and even though Colorado got a goal late, but Seattle had a plan and Seattle executed it to the fullest to the point where now they're just one game from advancing to the next round and punting or maybe even taking a big slap shot of that Colorado Avalanche puck out of this postseason. And who's to answer to this? I get it that Seattle's been a live dog. I get it that Seattle's had a very good year after the rough inaugural year of last year. But of course, that was then, this is now. And the Kraken, if you're one of the very few, and especially in the Pacific Northwest, we know that there's a legion of Kraken fans. But anybody outside of that who think that they have a shot to win this game, I believe it would be, what, tomorrow night? And of course they do. But if you ask me, they would have to do it and not have to tempt fate and go to a Game 7 to win a clincher, a series clincher at that, against a team that is battle-tested, championship medal, etc. So if they're going to put away the Avalanche in 6, they're going to have to do it in their own building. And can they do it? I think they can. Why not? They've shown a lot of gumption over the last two games. This is a team that has not blinked. Even down 2-1, they were able to come back and get the equalizer there in their building. And as we talked about just a second ago, last night, winning on the road, their biggest game by far in the first two years of their franchise. But now let's see if they could take that next step. Let's see if they could go ahead and slay the dragon of the defending champs. And with their goaltender, Philippe Grubauer, the former Colorado Avalanche, I'm sure he's relishing this. I'm sure he wants to stick it to him one more time. But as we all know, getting that fourth win in any series is always the biggest. So I would think in my gut that Colorado is going to show that championship DNA to push this series to a seventh game. Would I be shocked if Seattle wins? Absolutely not. But I think when it's all said and done, Colorado is going to play a game seven in their building. And at that point, it's a coin flip. That's how I look at it. I think it's going to go seven games. I would not be shocked if Seattle wins a game six. I actually hope that they will. But I know for the NHL, and I talk about this time after time, I know Gary Bettman and company, although they'll say, hey, look at what the Kraken have done. And if they do end up beating the number two seed in Colorado Avalanche, they'll paint it as rosy and as sunny and as beautiful as possible. But they know deep in their gut that if Colorado's going to be out after one round, they're going to be sick to their stomach. Because they're going to want Colorado to have some traction. They're going to want to have Colorado to go as deep as possible, knowing that they won the Stanley Cup last year, and that they want to be able to defend it for at least more than one series. And even though the Kraken, give them credit to this point, but like Kobe Bryant, the late great, had once said, the job's not finished. And I would think to a man in that locker room, they know that they have one more mountain to climb in order for them to get to the next round, and that's winning game six in their building. So that's number one. 
Number two, I have to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is an organization, as we talked about at Infinitum, and rightfully so. Talk about one more mountain to climb. They truly need to get this series over and done with as quick as possible. And tonight, let's see if they do it in their building in a Game 5 because they do not want the Tampa Bay Lightning, although they're bruised, battered, and scarred, but they don't want to give them any life. Because even if they go back to Tampa, up 3-2, and still a lot of pressure will be on the Lightning, but I really do believe that a lot of the pressure will be on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Despite the fact that they won both road games in Tampa, both in overtime fashion, both in dramatic fashion. When you think about how they won Game 3, where they scored a goal with one minute to go, and we talked about this on Monday, and then they won it in overtime, and then the improbable. Down 4-1 in the third period, halfway through, they scored three goals, including the one goal late, and then in overtime, getting the winner, and everybody was jumping for joy up in Maple Leaf Gardens or the outside of the arena there. And I know that this has to be just agony. And the reason why I say agony is because this script and this movie, we've seen this before. We've seen 3-1 series leads go by the wayside. We see them go up in smoke. All you have to do is think back to a couple years ago when they had the Montreal Canadiens on the ropes and the Canadiens made it into the postseason. Granted, it was a 56-game season due to the pandemic. But for the Canadiens, who had the worst point total in all of the sport, And they still were able to win the final three and upset the Maple Leafs there in that opening round two years ago. So to a man in that locker room, they have to look and say one more time, as I mentioned in the previous segment, the job is not finished. And here's the one thing that's dangerous. And I'm going to say this now, just so you can check your receipts possibly later on. If the Maple Leafs do win tonight or win this series at any point, is this going to be a scenario where they can finally exhale and then all the pressure's off to maybe make a run to a Stanley Cup? Or is it going to be so jubilant, and they're finally going to be so overjoyed that they got the piano off their back to the point where they go into the next round and they spit the bit? Now, mind you, they're probably going to play the Boston Bruins, who, in the Florida Panthers, they were able to win up in Boston yesterday, and in overtime, thanks to Matthew Kachuk and Sergei Bobrovsky, give it up to him, 44 saves. But the series now goes back to Florida, and let's see if the Panthers could push a Game 7 there, which I don't think so, considering the Bruins won the two road games in Florida. So I'll put that series aside. But for the Maple Leafs, you got to wonder, what is going on in each of those players' heads, the coaching staff, the head coach, the front office, etc., knowing that a Game 5 is in their building tonight, that they could put away the lightning, that they could exercise all the demons of the first round over the last two decades with just... 60 minutes of solid winning hockey tonight. Now, I know I got ahead of myself a little bit there because if they do, and chances are, I can't even say chances are because with this star-crossed and just terrible luck that this franchise has had, there's absolutely no guarantee they're going to win this series. So I just thought to maybe think ahead a little bit when it came to that comment as far as will they be on the fast track or at least have the inside track to have that cup run, or will it be just so crazy to the point where they fall flat on their face in the next round, even though it may be against a team that had a record-setting year in the Boston Bruins. But right this second, let's get back to the present. The Maple Leafs, as I said on Monday, they have to close this series out in six games. They cannot have a seventh game in that building. 
Could you imagine what the tension would be like if that's the case? Knowing that they won those two games on the road in Tampa, in overtime and dramatic fashion, and then to lose tonight, lose a game six, and then have to come back for a game seven? I couldn't even imagine it. So let's see if they could finally put the rest the lightning. We know that they've made the cup runs the last three years. And who knows? Maybe it's their time to just lay over. Not to say they're going to do that for the Maple Leafs and their organization and their fan base. But let's see if Toronto is going to have so much gas in the tank that they're just going to blitz through. And they need a rocking chair 5-1 type of game. They've already played the overtime games. They've already played the tooth and nail, nail biter, white knuckle type game. Tonight would be a night where the coronation would be a 5-1-6-2 type game. And let's see if that happens. Rangers and Devils will resume their series tonight. And boy, talk about a reversal of fortune. Lindy Ruff puts in the young goalie, a one Akira Schmid, and the Devils are looking like the 95-96 Devils to where after Vitek Vanacek, who opened up the series giving up five goals to the Rangers in the first two games. And then with the goaltending move, you have Schmidt in there, and he gave up one in each of the two games. And the Devils are now have the home ice back. Let's see what they're going to do in a game five tonight where the Rangers have done absolutely nothing in the last two games. I would think the Rangers, this extra day I think may have helped them more than than the Devils. But we will certainly wait and see how that series is going to unfold. I think the Devils, maybe they have breathed that sigh of relief knowing that they got their sea legs back and maybe they could win two of the next three and go on to the next round. But the Rangers are still going to be a tough out no matter what because they have the goal scoring and they have the big time advantage in net when it comes to Igor Shosturkin. So that one you have to keep in mind. So let's see what happens there. You have Vegas who could beat the Winnipeg Jets tonight. That's the third game that's going to take place along with the Maple Leafs and Tampa Bay Lightning. I think the Vegas Golden Knights will beat Winnipeg and take care of business so they can move on to the next round. Then you also have Dallas beating Minnesota, so they have a 3-2 series lead, although that series isn't over by any stretch as the scene will now be in Minnesota for Game 6. Edmonton, they did what they had to do, as we talked about there over the weekend, that big Game 4 that they won. Now they have a 3-2 series advantage to see if they can close out the Kings there at the Staples Crypto.com Arena. And then you have, last but not least, the Islanders who had a pathetic Game 4 and they did get a couple of big breaks and some defensive lapses in the Carolina Hurricane Zone where the Islanders had a 2-0 lead and they were able to hang on to win 3-1. Brock Nelson had that fluke goal that hit off the face of Sebastian Ajo and he swung it, which was in midair. And you need those type of breaks to win those games. And the Islanders will have a shot to push it to a Game 7 tomorrow night in their building, UBS Arena. At this point, anything goes. I can see the Hurricanes either win going away or the Islanders pulling off another nail-biter as they push it to a Game 7. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, the way the Islanders have performed, they've won big games, whether it be on the road, in Boston as they did a couple of years back when the series was 2-2. That was the year when they, the second year when they faced the Lightning and lost in Game 7. And we know what happened in that series against Tampa as they won crazy games, especially in the Old Barn out at Nassau Coliseum. But this Islander team, I get it. They are Jekyll and Hyde, unpredictable. You don't know from one day to the next. And I think the extra day off in this case helps the Islanders. 
Because just like I talked about the other day, where they won the Friday night game and had the quick turnaround, which to me, and I get it that Carolina has the same element, so they're also going to have to play in that 36 to 38 hour turnaround. But because the Islanders had to get back in the series and then have to play to that level and beyond on Sunday, and as we saw, they fell flat on their faces. But with the Islanders winning the game Tuesday night and then now having that extra night to play in their building, to get themselves refocused, re-energized, and with Matthew Barzell getting his fingerprints on the series with a big goal there on Tuesday night and Brock Nelson, of course, playing well, and now Bo Horvat, let's see what he could do. I know he got a late goal there in game four, but the Islanders are going to need him to see if they could take that next step and try to dethrone the Carolina Hurricanes. But first things first, let's see what happens there Friday night. And what the hell, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say the Islanders win that game and push to a game seven. Would I be shocked if Carolina goes in there and wins similar to how they won in game number four? Absolutely not. I can see the Islanders putting up a stinker. But I would be surprised only because the extra day off, knowing that that could be the last game in their building that the Islanders will play in, because if they do win, it pushes to the game seven. Again, we know that's a flip of the coin, but chances are the hurricane may prevail there. So let's see if the Islanders are going to show up and show out in what could be their final home game of the year. And I think they will. And that's what you got in the NHL, and it's been fascinating. You haven't had a lot of series that have been disinterested or series that have really been with less drama, not a lot of intrigue. Obviously, all the series are still alive when you go from top to bottom. Let's see if the Bruins could close out Florida, and I think they will as they won those two games, as I mentioned earlier. The Islanders extended their series. The Devils made of the series. I get it. The Leafs, they can win tonight, but we all know the unpredictability of them. Yeah, Vegas in all likelihood will probably close out their series tonight. The Colorado Avalanche, let's see what they have left as they have to go to the Pacific Northwest to close out or to, excuse me, to extend that series to a seventh game. Minnesota, you think, will push Dallas to the brink and then let's see what the Kings have. So a lot of intrigue there and I'm certainly fascinated to see how it's going to unfold here over the weekend as we get set for a second round, which will start next week. And now on to the NBA And the first thing I got to get to, I get it that the Clippers closed out the Suns, Devin Booker, 47 points. And why do we find out after the fact about Kawhi Leonard and his torn meniscus in his knee? Could somebody please explain that? He played in games one and two very well, I might add. Did not play in the final three games. And what did they do? After game five, did they take the MRI and get the diagnose? His knee and then, oh, by the way, he had a torn meniscus. And that's why he couldn't play in the final three games of the series. Why is this top secret? Why is this a scenario where I get it. People could say, well, Jay Reels, you're not part of the team. Who are you to say what the Phoenix Suns, excuse me, what the LA Clippers should do as far as their medical staff and releasing any information. It's none of your business, so on and so forth. Well, as fans and as people who watch and follow the sport and not knowing the status of why he's not playing. Did he tear an ACL? Did something else go on in his body? I know he has some family situations with his sister, which has been some big news and I'm sure has affected him to a big degree, let alone this injury. But why after game five do we find out about this? Could somebody please explain that? They couldn't say after game four, before game four, or maybe maybe even after game three when it was 
I'm sure they knew even then where the medical charts and the x-rays and all that came up where, hey, we're not going to see Kawhi Leonard for the rest of the series. So why release the information now? Uh, To me, that's just a terrible job. I don't understand why Kawhi Leonard is treated with kid gloves. I don't understand why it's a situation where everything has to be esoteric. Everything has to be under lock and key. I just, I have had enough. So enough with the Clippers. They're done. The Suns will now face the Denver Nuggets in the next round, which will be a fascinating series. And I'll talk more about that, which I'm sure game one will probably be over the weekend. And I would think that's going to be a long series. That's going to be a tough series. And speaking of which, why is Anthony Edwards throwing chairs on his way to the locker room after a tough loss? And I get it. He's emotional. He's feeling the sting of a another first-round exit. But for him to take a folding chair and throw it where he hit a couple of, I guess, their team employees of the Denver Nuggets. So who knows what happened there? I don't know if there's video footage, etc. But he's being charged with a misdemeanor. He's going to have to come back in court sometime in June. So just a terrible look there as the T-Wolves say bye-bye for the spring and summer. But the first round, as I talked about on my headlines, how I said that if both the Bucks and Grizzlies lost the Game 5 on Monday, that there would be no drama, and why should we even pay attention to this first round? Well, I'll get to the Grizzlies and Lakers in a second. But for this Buck Heat, 1-8 matchup, fifth time, and I kind of forget that the other series with the 1-8, and I get it has a big giant asterisk, because when we look throughout the course of NBA history, we have the Denver Nuggets beating the Seattle Supersonics in 1994, now it was best of five, if you recall, where the Sonics had a 2-0 series lead, and then the Nuggets won the next three, where Dikembe Mutombo, if you remember, on the floor, holding the ball in just ecstasy as they upset the Sean Kemp and Gary Payton led number one seeded Seattle Supersonics fast forward five years later eight seeded Knicks which weren't really an eight seed when you think about it but that's the way it fell in that lockout shortened year as they beat the heat in the one seed the bounce of the ball Allen Houston game five in the old Miami arena as the Knicks for the third straight year or really second straight year, they beat them three years in a row, 98-99-2000 in the postseason. The great run that they had between the Knicks and Heat, and you know that's going to be a theme in a matter of minutes. But then you had the, we believe, 07 Golden State Warriors beating the number one seeded Dallas Mavericks. And then the one that gets forgotten with the asterisk is the 2012 Philadelphia 76ers as an eight seed beating the number one seed Chicago Bulls. But remember in game one, that was the Game late, I believe with two and a half minutes to go, where Derrick Rose shredded his knee and the Bulls obviously were just done from that point on. The Sixers were able to prevail. They played the Celtics in the next round and then they beat the Celtics, beat them. And then they had that epic series against the Heat where the Heat went on to the finals and beat the Oklahoma City Thunder. But now you have last night and let's even go back before that because Monday night, if there's going to be a game that the Bucks are going to look at this whole offseason is that game five Monday night in Miami. They had a 12-point lead with 6.09 to go. They were in cruise control in the game. The Heat had no answers. And then all of a sudden, 
they started to chip away. Bucket here, three-pointer here, basket and a foul there. Next thing you know, they end up taking the lead and the Bucks just melted down right in front of our eyes to the point where Jimmy Butler had 56 points, one of the epic performances that you'll ever see, including 21 in the fourth quarter. And the Heat, who were up 2-1 as it was to begin with, and with Giannis, who came back into the lineup after missing most of Game 1, all of Game 2, and all of Game 3, to come back, and he performed very well. Even Brooke Lopez had 36 points. Giannis had a triple-double. They had no answer for that screen pick-and-roll where Brooke Lopez went to the basket at will for dunks, layups, etc. And the Miami Heat, because of Jimmy Butler, and I posted this yesterday on my YouTube page, my YouTube channel, whatever you want to call it, how Jimmy Butler, more so than anybody in the NBA, and now it has been cemented, he is not the best player in the NBA by far. He's probably not even in the top 15. I know there may be some people that will argue that right this very minute. But there is one thing that you cannot question. And if the, he is number one in the sport, and maybe by a big margin, is his will, and more so, his heart. The guy is just tremendous. You saw it there in the bubble against the Lakers in that game five where he was keeled over the sideline, just exhausted, complete exhaustion, trying to beat the Lakers by himself. You saw last year in that run to the game seven, Eastern Conference final, where his jumper fell short, the three-pointer that would have probably won the series and beaten the Celtics to go on to play the Golden State Warriors. And think about this Heat team. They lost to the Atlanta Hawks in the playing game. The first one where the Hawks would just completely beat them up and down the court. And think about this. Kobe White hits a three-pointer with 3.48 to go in the fourth quarter of the second playing game against the Chicago Bulls, 90-87. And then what happened after that? Jimmy Butler willed them to victory. And then now you have game four and then Last night, game five with a 42-point performance. And then the Bucks, who I am going to just undress here in a minute. But for Jimmy Butler on that inbounds pass to hoist up that shot to tie the game. And then they win in overtime, 128-126. Another one seed out as they're the fifth team in NBA history. The Heat, who are left for dead in that game against the Bulls, now move on to the Eastern Conference semifinals. You can't make it up. And for Eric Spolstra, Heat culture, all the undrafted players that are on that team, and we know who the guys are, the Gabe Vincents of the world, the Max Struces. This is a team that is Jimmy Butler. And all right, I'll give Bam Adebayo his credit and his flowers, no doubt. Although he's in and out of these games and he contributed last night with a big game, had 20 points. But it is pretty much Butler and everybody else. This team does not have a ton of scoring. This team does not have all-stars up and down the lineup if, other than Butler. But here they are. Five games to beat the Bucks, And granted, they didn't have Giannis for two and three quarters of those games. I understand. But even still, game four should have been... that Again, they're going to have sleepless nights all... Summer long. And now let me just get to the Bucks. Let's just get this out of the way because I'm just, uh, and I'm not a Buck fan. But Coach Budenholzer has to be front and center 
on the fire here. Does this mean he loses his job? They won an NBA final just two years ago. So I can't say that's the case. But boy, his coaching in this series, and especially in the last two games, was an utter atrocity. How does he not have Giannis or even a double team thrown at Jimmy Butler? He's the only guy that you have to worry about on that floor. There's no Tyler Hero to shoot you in and out of these games, or in this case, to shoot him in a game, because we know when Tyler Hero's hot, he could shoot it with the best of them. Bam Adebayo, I understand he's a guy that could get his points here and there, play solid defense, get his rebounds, but you're not going to worry about him or look at him in the film as a guy that you're going to have to neutralize or even try to stop on the offensive side of the ball. You don't have a guy, Max Drews, I understand he could get off. He had the seven threes in the game against the Chicago Bulls in the playing game, but still, Max Drews, really? We're going to have to look at the tape on this guy to see if we can slow him down? Absolutely not. It is Jimmy Butler and nobody else. So why didn't Budenholzer at least throw a double team? We get it that Drew Holiday is an all-world defender, but even Butler is a little bit bigger and stronger than Holiday. And as we saw, Holiday wore down here toward the final couple of games of the series and didn't have another defender on him, or even Giannis for that matter, who with his length alone would have been able to slow down Jimmy Butler. Why he didn't do that is beyond me. And then, I get it in the postgame, he did say that this is how we've played all year, so we weren't going to change that even in the final few seconds of a desperation game. But at 128-126, when Gabe Vincent missed that three, and Giannis got the rebound with about nine seconds to go, can you call a timeout, get the ball in the front court, call time, and try to draw up a play? As it was, Giannis gave it to Middleton. He was defended. He gave it to Grayson Allen, who made a nice move at the perimeter, and he had actually had a chance to throw up a floater. But for whatever the reason, Grayson Allen thought he had another 15 seconds on a shot clock. So he tried to get closer to the basket to see what he could do. The buzzer goes off. What was Grayson Allen thinking? The minute he shook his defender at the perimeter, he should have taken a couple of dribbles, maybe peeked up at the shot clock to know that it was probably at 1.2 or maybe even 0.8 at that point or 0.8. And try to hoist up a floater to see if it'd go in so they can extend it to a second overtime. Just a terrible job by the Bucks. I know you could look at the Heat and talk about their heart. And thankfully, as a Celtic fan, I didn't want to play the Heat in the first round. I was hoping Atlanta would win, and they did. And I understand the Celtics are now in a series here, and I'll get to them in a minute. But for the Bucks, and even Giannis in the postgame, he came out and said that this first round of the season was not a failure. Giannis, how could you say that? You won 58 games. You had the best record in the sport. You had a one seed. You had the home court throughout the entire postseason. And I understand you were out for almost three games. And it wasn't all your fault. You played an excellent game for which you should have won. You had a 12-point lead with six, point, with six minutes to go. And then yesterday, how do you explain that? To me, that's all in the coach. And he has a lot to answer to, to their front office, to their ownership, etc. Because he doesn't deserve to get fired. But for a team that won a championship two years ago, they showed just zero adjustments, execution. And for whatever the reason, they just did not, in the big moments of the game, show up. How did that inbounds pass get to Jimmy Butler where he actually falling away, had to shoot it, and it went through the net? And I get it, sometimes you get those breaks, understood, but oh, 
That is indefensible. Just that alone should have Budenholzer on the hot seat. Because there's no way, shape, or form that that should happen. Not like that. So now, you have a scenario where the Heat, and they don't do reseeding, which is a joke, and that's a story for another day, because there's the Heat with an 8 seed, they should play the top seed that's left, which, in this case, if the Celtics do win, would be the Celtics. And I'll get to them in a minute, only because the Knicks disposed of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and did they expose them? By far. Donovan Mitchell did not have a good series. That just showed and proved that they need another big-time scorer on that team. I get it, you got young players. I know Darius Garland could be that guy, but he was not that guy in the series. Yes, he had moments. Yes, he had flashes. But Donovan Mitchell cannot do it all by himself. And that's the thing. Mitchell is kind of in that Jimmy Butler mode where he's about 6'5", 6'6", maybe even a little bit shorter. Plays with a lot of heart. Plays with a lot of tenacity. But not only does he need help, but he's a guy that's not going to be able to do it all, similar to Butler. Because if the Bucks were able to put another man on him or even put Giannis, who knows how that series would have turned out. And that's the same for Donovan Mitchell. He's not 6'8", 240. He's not a big that could play just any position on the court, a la LeBron, or a guy like Giannis, or even a guy like Embiid. I understand he's more of a center, but he does play the perimeter as well. He could kill you out there and kill you down low. With Mitchell, yes, he can make jumpers, and yes, he can post up, but bigger guys are going to be able to defend him, and they're going to be able to slow him down. And the Knicks, they were able to do that, and then some, thanks to Coach Tom Thibodeau and what they were able to deploy defensively, and they showed that the Knicks, granted that it's the Cavs, a young team, a team that is green when it comes to playing together in big spots like this, and as you saw there last night, took them to the back of the woodshed these final three games, and now have a date with the Miami Heat. And all you're going to see, especially in game one, you're going to see all the highlight clips. P.J. Brown flipping Charlie Ward, the brawl ensued, and then you had the scenario where Tim Hardaway went crazy in that game six of Madison Square Garden, as well as game seven, and they ended up beating the Knicks when they were down three games to one to win that series one more time in the old Miami arena. 98, who could forget game four? Larry Johnson and Alonzo Mourning coming the blows to where we saw Jeff Van Gundy like a dog at the bottom of Alonzo Mourning's leg and then winning a game five that they were able to prevail and move on. 99, as I talked about, Allen Houston shot, one-seeded Heat, eight-seeded Knicks as they were able to beat the Heat again for a second year. And then in 2000, Patrick Ewing off of the baseline from Alonzo Mourning getting the dunk in a game seven to seal the Miami Heat's fate as they couldn't close out the Knicks again. Those four series as contested, as bitter, as just competitive as you could possibly ever watch an NBA series. And there were plenty of them with the Knicks during that span. Knicks Bulls, Knicks Pacers, Knicks Heat. Those were games that, especially in these parts, no one will ever forget. And here they are in the next round going up against one another. Now, it's going to be a far cry because you're not going to have Alonzo Mourning, Patrick Ewing, Allen Houston, those guys walk through the door. But I could see this being a series where it's going to be tooth and nail. It's going to be all will, all heart. And who's going to come out on top? That remains to be seen. I'm not going to pick any series just yet. Check my YouTube channel as I'll post predictions there, even... TikTok and Instagram, which I've kind of laid low here over the last couple of uh, weeks, especially this past week, but definitely on YouTube, at J Reels, 
No J Reels Podcast at J Reels is where you'll get all the content and everything that will come through as far as predictions and will certainly lead you into the second round with everything that has to do with not only just the NBA postseason, but of course the Stanley Cup playoffs as well. Now let's get to the Celtics. What can you say about that fourth quarter there a couple of nights ago? They had a 10-point lead going into the fourth quarter. They were playing excellent basketball. You would think that they were going to put away the Hawks in that final frame, but that was not the case. A 37-point fourth quarter. Trey Young, who, as we all know, diminutive in size, but a guy who does have big heart, but I can't put him on that Jimmy Butler level by any stretch. But we know that Trey Young could go off at any point, and he did so in that fourth quarter. Jason Tatum... Had a very subpar game for him, only 19 points. That was all Jalen Brown. But what it boils down to was the final play where they couldn't get a man out on Trey Young, who drained that three from 30 point from 30 feet, excuse me, at 117-116. And the Atlanta Hawks, who a lot of people thought the series was going to be over and done with there on Tuesday night, now force a game six tonight in Atlanta, the only NBA game on the docket. And a lot of the pressure is going to be on the Celtics to win this game. And the reason why I say that is because the Hawks know they have that irrational confidence, and this was without Deontay Murray, who had a suspension for bumping that official there in Game 4. So now you have Murray come back into the mix. And not to say that that Hawk crowd is anything to scream at. That's not a good sports town. And I get it. that They're probably going to be revved up, ready to go, to see if they could push this series to a Game 7. But I think the Celtics are going to face a little bit of pressure here because they have the Sixers waiting in the wings who are already rested and knowing that if they want to have an extra day's rest, they're going to have to win this game tonight. On the road, we saw the Hawks win a game three there in Atlanta, so it's not as if that they can't beat them in that building. And Jason Tatum, I expect them to have a bounce back game. And I would think that the Celtics are going to mean all business going into this game. But... I can't say that right now. And having Murray come back, I know he's going to be jacked up and trying to do his best to make a hefty contribution to this game tonight to see if they could force a Game 7 back to Boston. So I really truly believe that we could look and think that, ah, it's all on the Hawks. Yes, they still have to win a game to even get to that 7th game. But to me, it's going to be the Celtics and especially that young coach, Joe Mazzulla. If they don't play from in front and get out to a lead to what they've been able to do, especially as we saw there even on Tuesday night, but to quiet that crowd, to not let any momentum into that building, to try to take all the air out as quick as they possibly can, to get out to a sizable lead, or really just continue to put the foot on their proverbial necks to not let them get any type of life in them, then that's the type of performance I want to see tonight. I don't want this to come down to a final second shot or even get into overtime. All business. No fooling around if you're the Celtics. But again, in my gut, I think they're going to win this game tonight. I think they're, I won't say they're going to win going away. Maybe they'll go away late with a run to where they'll put the game on ice with the final, what, three, four minutes left in the game. That I could see. But who knows? And as I said, with this NBA first round, now you have some drama here. I didn't think you were going to get any drama. I thought this series would be over. I thought that now as I'll segue to 
Memphis and the Lakers, what we saw there over the weekend and how the Lakers, who took a 3-1 series lead, thanks to the late heroics by LeBron James getting that layup there with .2 seconds left in the game before winning in overtime. And then last night, you just throw that game in the garbage. Memphis came all out between Desmond Bain and John Morant as they handled the Lakers there last night. Now puts it to a Game 6 in L.A. And Desmond Bain saying that, yes, we're going to come back here for Game 7. Here's the problem with this Grizzly team. And I understand they have this bravado. They have this swag. This team has won nothing. And I was about to kill them there after Game 3. But I held and I'm going to reserve judgment until either the Lakers win tomorrow night. Or if they push it to a Game 7. But if the Grizzlies do not get out of this series alive, I have plenty of choice words for them. So I'm going to save it until then, if it does get to that point. Especially in this first round. So Desmond Bain, you want to puff out your chest and say, we're going to be back before Game 7. The What did he have, 33 points last night? Alright, let me see you have an outburst like you did last night in LA come Friday night. Anything short of that, I don't want to hear from you. I do not. So let's see if they can rally the troops one more time to push it to a Game 7. And I think LeBron, he even said it. I had a bad game. I'll be better come game six. And I would expect that and then some. And even Anthony Davis had a very good game last night. But we shall see what's going to happen there. And then you have the Warriors and Kings where last night in Sacramento, and I understand the Aaron Fox had the fractured index finger on his shooting hand. And he did chip in with 24, but did not play well. He did not shoot well. He was, what, 9 for 25 from the field, I believe. So the championship DNA, as we like to say, of the Warriors certainly reared its beautiful head to the tune where Draymond Green, think about this, people. If Draymond Green has 21 points in a game, chances are the Warriors are going to win. And that's what you saw there last night. Just a gut check, a performance that we come to expect but didn't know if we were going to expect And as you saw there last night, Steph Curry had that dagger three, or excuse me, had the dagger basket there late with the N1 that made it 122 to 114 at the time. And what more can you say? This team, you have to cut off the head and then let the body die. They tried to do that last night and certainly had a 2-0 series lead. And now their back's up against the wall as they have to go to the chase center to see if they can extend this series to a seventh game. And I'm going to say this right now. The Sacramento Kings. It's not going to happen. The Kings are getting their taste. Of what the NBA postseason is all about. And they can't complain about the matchup. Oh we got Golden State. It was unfair. Golden State's a much better team than a six seed. We probably should have faced a Dallas team. Or maybe even the T-Wolves. Or a team like that. Uh-uh. This is what happens when you get to the tournament. And it's a whole different ball of wax. And I want Sacramento to win to see if they can push it to a seventh game. And I hope they do. But the chances of that happening? Highly unlikely. And I don't think they're going to do it. Because now that the blood is in the water and the sharks have come and now they've already devoured half of what is in that ocean of the Sacramento Kings and I would think that the other half is going to be devoured there come Friday night. And here I was thinking on Monday that if the Bucks, Grizzlies, if they both didn't win, that this first round would have been a disaster because you would have had a lot of 
series ending five, maybe even six games. And now as it is, you have Celtics Hawks tonight. You have Memphis and the Lakers. You also have the Warriors and Kings that you have to look at. And those are three series that could go seven games. Watch them all end in six. And there'll be no drama as you'll have the second round start over the weekend. But at first glimpse, we thought that we were going to have just one series go seven games. Or even six for that matter. But now we have three that are gone six. And maybe, hopefully, for the NBA sake, that they would have two game sevens at least. And maybe even three, dare I say. That would be a home run for the NBA. Considering just three days ago, it looked like we were probably not going to have any seven game series, let alone one. And potentially, we could have three. So let's see what happens there. And one last thing. Ime Odoka, the former Celtic coach, and we all understand what happened there in Boston there toward the summer and right before training camp. Well, he resurfaces and will be the coach of the Houston Rockets. There were reports and rumors that he would be the coach of the Toronto Raptors. And that would have been an interesting fit. For a team that is in limbo with Nick Nurse out. And although they have a couple of players that you could hang your hat on. But they're a team that is in that 38-43 to win category. Good enough, but not good to compete with the likes of Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, etc. But now you have him going to Houston with the likes of Jalen Green. A young guy that could be a franchise player. And knowing that he is taking that job, which would be a good job, and he can nurture those guys and grow them into something special down the road, that will have to wait and see. But Udoka now gets another chance, and we know what he did in Boston in his first year and had those terrible circumstances that, again, self-inflicted on him, that affair or the whatever you want to call it with the employee there, which was forbidden there by the Celtic organization. So now we'll get to see him on the sidelines there down in Houston with the Rockets. Now let me turn my attention as I take off both the skates and the high tops. I'm going to touch on the NFL here. Yeah, I'll save baseball for last and there's not really much going on in baseball when you think about it over the course of the last few days. Now I'm sick that the Mets already lost the first two games to the Nationals. So I won't even go there with that. Hopefully they could salvage the final game of that series because they have the Braves coming in and they don't want to lose another game and have Atlanta win and they're already three games behind where they were pretty much neck and neck after the weekend or really going into the weekend because they lost two to the Giants the back two of that series and now lost four in a row for the first time since 2021 so think about that Met fans and you lost two to the Nationals please so can we salvage this game before the Braves come in and maybe make up some ground along the way so baseball As far as that goes, not really much to get into. And I'll touch on it after I get through the NFL. But before I even get to the draft, which is tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday, I know the Jet fan is rejoicing. And this was a trade that was highly anticipated and was the worst kept secret. We knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. They finally got the trade in order as far as pieces, as far as draft picks, things of that nature. And I get it that the Jet fan could be a little bit dismayed because of the potential number one pick for next year where to go through the parameters. So the Jets make this trade. They also traded their 13th selection first round this year to 
Green Bay, where Green Bay is going to, they're flip-flopping, so they'll have the 15th pick overall, where Green Bay gets the 13th pick. They'll also get their second-round pick, number 42. That was a trade with the Browns that they had when they shipped the wide receiver, Elijah Moore, to Cleveland. And then also a later-round pick, I believe a sixth round this year, as well as next year's second-round pick, which is conditional, and it could be a number-one pick if Aaron Rodgers plays in 65% of the team's snaps next year. So think about this. When you get to about week 11, week 12, and if Aaron Rodgers plays in every snap from week 1 to then, that's when you know they're going to have to give up their number one pick for the following year, which I know may not sit well in your stomach, but you're getting Aaron Rodgers back. And all I can say about it is you had to give up what you had to give up. You're getting a guy. We know the resume. We know everything. We don't have to get into it. But the pros and the cons, and you could actually argue that the cons may even outweigh the pros. We know what the pros are. Instant credibility. You're going to have tons of nationally televised games and have a very good schedule, which will come out in a couple of weeks, but the opponents for next year are the AFC West and the NFC East. And considering that's Dallas, That's the defending NFC champion, Philadelphia Eagles. The crosstown rival, New York Giants, who made the playoffs last year. AFC West, Mahomes, need I say more, the defending Super Bowl champs. Justin Herbert, the Chargers. All right, you want to throw in the Raiders only because of the Raiders? It's Jimmy Garoppolo, who at least went to a Super Bowl. All right, I'll give you that. Russell Wilson, whatever's left of him, but you got Sean Payton there tied to the hip. That's a game that could have some type of nationally televised implications. You also have a division. Josh Allen twice. Miami and all their weapons twice. New England with Belichick. I get it that they may right now look like they're the fourth place team in the AFC East. But you have all these matchups that the Jet fan and the NFL is going to salivate over. So that's fantastic from that regard. And of course, having Rodgers in the mix... That puts you in a position not only to make it into the playoffs, but make a Super Bowl run, and who knows, maybe even get to a Super Bowl. And I understand, those are lofty goals. And those are big-time pros. But the cons, and I think these are just as big, if not bigger, than the pros. One, we have to take into account his health. Now, granted, he has played pretty much every game. He's had issues with shoulders over the years from getting hit. So I won't even look at concussions. I won't even look at leg injuries, things of that nature. Because Rodgers, as we all know, is a very heady, smart quarterback. But at 39 years of age, and a guy who has had his bumps and bruises along the way, that's something you have to consider. Because not to say he's going to be out for weeks on end, or his season's going to be derailed by a devastating injury. But over the years, he has had his moments where he's had to sit on the shelf and you have Zach Wilson waiting in the wings. That's something you don't want to have to deal with. Another thing, when the Jets start off flying, and let's say they go off 3-0, we don't know what the schedule is yet, but there's going to come a time where, let's say they go 3-1, and and now it's midseason and they're 6-6, six and six, and everybody's going to point the questions at the quarterback. And we know he's good with the media, But how he's going to respond to that is going to be huge because we know this New York media is going to be at him 
with every question known to man and asked a thousand different ways. How that's going to affect Aaron Rodgers is going to be huge. This isn't Green Bay where you had a couple of reporters and a couple of TV news crews that are going to show up at the doorstep. This is New York City where anyone and everyone is is going to want to get into that locker room. Is going to want to be a part of what Aaron Rodgers has to say. And anything that gets misquoted or anything that gets to be a little bit testy or whatever is going to be magnified times 10. So imagine that episode that he had a couple of years back when he talked about being immunized. Remember that? And he got slaughtered for that. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of that, whatever, but I bring that up because imagine if that was here in New York. That would be front cover story in all the newspapers about him being immunized, but what does that mean? Did he get the shot or not? One more time, I'm not going down that rabbit hole, but that's the point. That little blurb that he said would be headlines, not only just for a day, but probably for an entire season, because that's how New York is built when it comes to the media. So you have those two issues, and three, and this is the biggest one of all, if Aaron Rodgers, as we've seen in the past, if he's going through a rough stretch or a tough game, or let's say they get into the postseason and the defense, whomever they play, is, I'm not going to go as far as saying teeing off on Aaron Rodgers, but let's say he is out of sync. Aaron Rodgers, as we've seen over the years, especially in big playoff games, when he plays in a tuxedo, meaning that his uniform is clean, he's flawless. But when the game gets dirty, when the game gets in the muck, as we saw against San Francisco in the divisional round two years ago, as we saw many years ago against Colin Kaepernick when it was four degrees as they lost there in Lambeau, or in San Francisco there a couple of years back when the Niners went to a Super Bowl, we could go through all the games when his team needed him the most or when he needed to pull his team out of the fire. And I understand he has a Super Bowl on his resume and he was a sixth seed and beat my beloved Steelers. Understood. But when the body language and where the rolling of the eyes and the big exhales as he snaps his chin strap off of his helmet, walking to the sidelines after a failed fourth down attempt or an interception or a fumble or things of that nature, when that happens, that's when the bottom falls out. And if the Jet fan sees that and if the media sees that, they're going to pounce. And that is going to be bigger than any locker room quote. That's going to be maybe even bigger than any injury that he may sustain. And hopefully he doesn't. But the body language of a one Aaron Rodgers is going to be one to monitor. Because when everything is flying high and coconuts and palm trees, yes, let's ride that magic carpet ride as far as we can. But when he has to get his uniform dirty, or he's getting under pressure, or if he's looking at one of his young receivers, if he didn't run a route, or if a ball was dropped, or if a ball was tipped and intercepted, or if a ball was, whatever the reason, batted down on 4th and 5, and he needed to get that first down against Buffalo sometime in November, and he walks off to the sidelines with his head held low, forget it. That's the Aaron Rodgers that the Jet fan does not want to see. And we've seen that plenty of times, especially since he won that Super Bowl back a dozen years ago. So something to keep in mind, Jet fans, we have a lot of time between now and September and when things are going to be off and flying, but that's something you have to keep in the back of your memory banks as far as the cons as opposed to the pros.
And real quick, tonight is the draft. And the reason why I say real quick, because we all know it's going to be based on the quarterbacks. I know we've had some guys move up in the draft, whether your name is Tyree Wilson, maybe even over Jalen Carter, even Will Anderson for that matter. And Jalen Carter, his stock went down based on that just terrible tragedy, him street racing somewhere in Georgia after the championship game to where a staff member and a teammate was killed. And even during the combine, out of shape, out of breath, nine pounds overweight, I'm sure that's not going to be a good look. Somebody's going to draft him. It's not like he's going to fall to the bottom of this draft. But when we look at the defensive players, as I mentioned, Tyree Wilson, you know, Will Anderson, the linebacker, and he's going to be a dominant force, you would think, here in the NFL. He's going to be probably somewhere along the top five. So those are some of the guys that we're going to have to look out for here early on. But we all know it's going to be about the quarterbacks. Who's going to go first? Is it going to be Bryce Young, the Carolina, we would think. C.J. Stroud, back in the day, it was called the Wonderlick test for the quarterback. I think it's called something else now, where a lot of people looked at Bryce Young and he passed out with flying colors, but C.J. Stroud, not so much. And I get it. A lot of people are going to look at that and say, oh, that's bad for a guy who's going to play this position for about 10, 12 years. And if he wasn't able to, whether it was an aptitude test or whether he was able to try to solve out or figure out certain things, that that knocked his... I'm not going to say his draft status because he's probably going to get drafted in the top four, we would think. And you would only hope that the Texans, I would think they're going to draft a quarterback here. So even if Young goes off the board with Carolina, do they pick C.J. Stroud, number two? I know you got Will Levis sitting there with Kentucky. A lot of people like him. Anthony Richardson was a guy that flew up the draft board. But to think, he's a guy that's probably more of a greener and raw Lamar Jackson than anything else. We know he could run. His accuracy is not great. We know he has a very strong arm. But... There's still a lot of question marks with him leading an NFL franchise. He may need to be groomed here for a year or two before he's able to take over and be that guy wherever he lands, whether it's in Indianapolis or if he does get in taken number two at Houston or somewhere down the line as far as a need for a quarterback. So those guys, we're going to have to wait and see. And Levis in some of these mock drafts is actually the fourth guy because of the ascendance of Anthony Richardson. Some people even have Will Levis going down as far as ninth, And even further than that, when you think about it, as I'm looking at one of these mock drafts, they actually have him all the way at the bottom. Even below Hendon Hooker, who's a guy Tennessee coming off of an ACL. And based on even what I've seen, I only saw a little bit of Hendon Hooker, especially in that game against Georgia, which he did not play well. And then he tore his knee, I believe, in the following game. Was it against LSU? But be that as it may... When you have a guy like Will Levis, who a lot of people were enamored with during the combine, and now he's falling below even Hendon Hooker on the draft board, that says a lot. So we will wait and see and find out where these quarterbacks will land. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of trades in the mix. Who knows? Speaking of a one Lamar Jackson, does his name resurface and swallow up the draft as I talked about there on Monday? We don't have to worry about Aaron Rodgers, who I thought would probably be part of that Lamar Jackson Aaron Rodgers duo to overtake the draft as far as a possible trade or rumors or anything like that. But with Jackson, we're going to have to see what is going to happen here. I would think that he's going to have to come back and sign that franchise tender or unless he's going to pull a Le'Veon Bell. That also remains to be seen. But this draft is going to be about the quarterbacks. It's also going to be about the defensive ends and the pass rushers. That we, As we all know, those are huge. And when I look on down the list 
Of course, there are a lot of big defensive players that we're going to take a peek at. Well, the name is Devin Witherspoon, the cornerback. He's a guy that may be the first one off the board. I know Christian Gonzalez is also neck and neck as far as corners may be taken out of this draft. Paris Johnson, Ohio State, is littered with players that are going to be taken here. Bijan Robinson, who has also been now a guy that's gone off the board or gone up the board and could be that first running back taken. Does a team go as high as maybe number six with the Lions? And I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Lions will probably look to see if they could get a Will Anderson or a guy like that. They may have to trade to move up to get him. But the running back, Bijan Robinson, is he a guy that maybe is sexy enough for a team to take very high? We all know running backs do not have a big life shelf in the NFL. A lot of intriguing stuff in that first round, which will all unfold tonight in Kansas City. As far as like sleepers and who's going to fall and things of that nature, like the Stetson Bennett's of the world, which will probably be where they're at somewhere in the middle rounds. I'll cover that more on Monday. To me, we all know the draft is about the first round. And even that second and third, who are going to be the guys that are going to fall into the second round or a guy that's going to be that sleeper in those rounds. The later rounds, you can't even pick. A lot of these people could say, oh, this guy, if he's drafted in the fifth round, he's going to be the biggest sleeper in the whole draft. We don't know that. Nobody's watching these games from these middle regions who are those type of players that get plucked from these teams, whether it's in the Midwest or somewhere in the South. They're not coming from big-time programs. They're coming from programs that are heard of, but certainly have not been on anybody's radar and on a week-to-week basis when it comes to college football. So we will take an overview on Monday, review that, and see where we lie. And of course, for further updates, check my social media feeds, channels, YouTube, at JReels in particular, and you'll get my latest takes on what's going to happen there with the draft. And with baseball, yes, I'm not going to get into a lot of different things. Because I touched on the Pirates there on Monday who split the first two games against the LA Dodgers. So the Pirates are playing well. What are they now? 18-7 and I believe or 17-8 and in the NL Central. So we'll get into baseball a little bit more. And also Max Scherzer I didn't talk about. 10 game suspension. I know last week I mentioned 5 games so it's 10. You're not going to see him this weekend against the Braves obviously. And the early to latter part of next week. So the Mets who right now are scuffling a bit. Four in a row as I mentioned a little while ago. Let's see how they fare in this final game against the Nationals before the Braves come to town. There's going to be a lot of bad weather in the Northeast. A lot of rain heading our way. So who knows if they're going to get any of these games in. So we'll keep that in mind as baseball trudges into today. Already four weeks into the baseball season. Almost a month in as we'll cover it more there on Monday's podcast. That'll do it my good people. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by for... Listening to your favorite little podcast host talk about and babble about what's happening in the world of sports. Your participation is never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, like I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. I greatly appreciate it, people. Just to get the word out, visibility of the podcast, you know the deal. One more time on my socials, hit me up. At J Reels on YouTube. The J Reels Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. The J Reels Podcast at gmail.com for any questions, comments, or suggestions. And also on Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth will go 100% to the production of this website. Of course, the entire production, whether it's the equipment, the upkeep of this experience, into this microphone, to your earbuds, headphones, and speakers. 
with entertaining, informative sports talk unlike any other. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA since birth. If you haven't heard it throughout this podcast, and I don't know, you have to come back for more or maybe you have to ramp it up a little bit more because when it comes to this being not only my passion with plenty of fire, fury, energy on my critiques, praise, thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to Southeast to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>